Father, thank you so much for your wonderful love for us. Thank you for all the many blessings, Lord, that you've poured out upon us. Lord, we thank you for our dads. Lord, we thank you for you also, Lord, who was willing to be our father. And Lord, we look to you to speak to us this morning, Lord, to move upon our hearts, to help us, Lord. Lord, if we had a good dad, Lord, I pray that we would leave with a greater appreciation for him. If we had a not-so-good dad, Lord, I pray that we would look to you and that you, Lord, could be our father and provide the things that a child needs. Father, I pray that you'll work in our hearts today. We love you so much, and we ask that you bless us now by your Spirit, through your Word, in Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 29. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, And write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor. And every man his brother saying. Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. Says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And their sin. I will remember no more. There is a man who stands in the shadows of your life. He may have been your rock and best friend. The skills and traits you lean on every day were taught to you by him. On the other hand, you may have never met him or even known him. Or you might have moved a thousand miles away from him to avoid his harmful influences. But your biological father is there behind the scenes. My wife was 10 years old when she lost her dad to a drowning accident. Lyle Weldon was a godly Christian man. I wish I had known him. Kathy wishes that he had been there to walk her down the aisle and to play with his grandson who bears his name, Quincy Lyle. He died on February 1st. And every February 1st, for the 42 years that we've been married, it's a hard day for Lyle's little girl. Lyle has been gone for over 50 years, but trust me, his memory and his legacy remain in the shadows of our lives. This was especially true this past February 1st. As most of you know, Zach was in a COVID coma. My son was in a COVID coma for the month of January. And on February 1st, his doctor called us to prepare us for the worst. Why February 1st of all days? Why get the bad news on that exact date? 
But God's timing is always perfect. Kathy had prayed and asked God to save her grandson from growing up without a dad as she had done. As it turns out, God was refining our faith. February 1st was the turning point. The very next day, Zach woke up. Today, he's back home. Our experience obviously causes us to praise God, but it also reminds us that there is a man who stands in the shadows of our lives. We usually call him dad. I believe this is true for everyone, even those who wish it weren't so. I know some of you have memories of your father you're trying to forget. You were battered or abused by the man who should have shown you love. And you've resented the sway that he has on you, even the influence that he has on you today from the shadows. It's not fair, you say. Why should I care about who he is or what he did? In a strictly biological sense, a father's role in childbearing doesn't equal the weight of his overwhelming influence. We think just because a man donated his seed, he should, it should entitle him to a permanent place in the spotlight or even in the shadows of another life. Why should that be the truth or be the case? But it is. And I believe it's God's will that it is. Because God wants to have a father-child relationship with us all, He has made the father-child relationship of us all so very powerful. Our dads haunt us or help us or something in between, but He impacts us all. God granted this power in hopes that our earthly fathers will be good fathers and point us to our heavenly Father. Which brings us to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, where we're told, In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Naturally speaking, a father does have a disproportionate influence on his child. He's the one who eats the rotten grapes, and yet his child gets stuck with the sour taste. But the passage predicts a day when that will no longer be the case, when such statements won't be made. For God will establish a new covenant where he'll put his law in our minds and write it on our hearts. He'll give us a new life. We'll experience a new birth where we'll no longer experience our father's sinful aftertaste. But God himself becomes our father and we inherit his nature. This is the relationship that God has now made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was sacrificed so that you and I could be forgiven. And now for the Christian, there is another man in the shadows. You have a stronger influence now. His name is Jesus. And he won't let your natural father ruin your life, not when you have a father in heaven who wants to save it. If you weren't blessed with a good and godly dad, take hope. Jesus is now with you to give you all that you need. Especially if you're a man trying to be the dad to your kids that you didn't have. Some of us fathers worry that we're not enough. That we won't be up to the task. But dad, if you know Jesus, he has put on your mind and he has written into your heart the love you need to be a good father. 
Every dad needs Jesus in the shadows. We want him to be our influencer, especially if we've suffered at the hands of a hurtful dad. Men know this, pain that's not transformed by Jesus ends up getting transferred to our children. And this is why every father needs to be born again. Dads need mouthwash. Rather than the sour taste of grapes we didn't eat, we need to receive the new life that comes in Christ. Dads need Jesus. And we need examples of fathers who love Jesus and are good dads to their kids. And today I have an example of just such a man. He wasn't book smart or a fancy talker or very sophisticated. He was born at home, had a 10th grade education, and worked mostly blue-collar jobs. But he loved Jesus with all his heart. He was my wise and wonderful father. Every day for a long time now, this man has stood in the shadows of my life along with Jesus. And though he's gone now, not a day goes by when I don't somehow feel his influence. Today, I'd like to talk to you about my dad. This is my first Father's Day without him. Both mom and dad passed away this past year. And as I've talked about my mom on Mother's Day, today I'd like to draw some lessons for all dads from the example of my own. His name was Olin Adams, but in high school, I started calling him Big O. The name stuck. I came up with a nickname because I thought it fit my dad's personality, his enormous personality, and his outlandish opinions. Not always a good thing. It was surprising to me when I heard his friends start calling him Big O. Even mom called him Big O. The name resonated. Today, with the approval of his family, even his tombstone bears the inscription, Big O. Dad had a favorite psalm, Psalm 117, the shortest chapter in the Bible. He caused me to memorize it. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. My mom was the Bible student, and she wanted to instill God's Word in the heart of her sons. And so while growing up, every night, mom would come into our room, and she would read my brother and I a different chapter of the Scriptures, except on Wednesdays. Mom was at choir practice on Wednesday night, and so that was the night it was my dad's job to read us our Bible chapter. And every Wednesday night, dad would read the same chapter. Old duty-bound dad, he would come into our room with his Bible open to Psalm 117, remind us that it was the Bible's shortest chapter, and then quickly read, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Good night, boys. (laughs) Then he would order us to sleep, shut the door, and go back to what he was doing. I think I was 30 years old before it finally dawned on me, Good night, boys, was not part of the text. And yet, fast forward now many decades. A few years ago, my dad and I, we were driving in the car when I asked him. I said, Dad, every Wednesday night, come on now. You came into our room and you read, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise ye the Lord. Good night, boys. 
Mom read us different chapters in the Bible, but you just wanted to get it over with. You read us the shortest chapter every Wednesday night. Of course, Dad always had the right reply. He said, how many of those chapters your mother read you have you memorized? (laughs) Touche. And yet that story sums up the spiritual training I received from my dad. Mom was the Bible student and the scholar of the family. It was her priority to saturate our minds with the knowledge of God's Word. She was the theologian. Mom taught us chapters and verses and map locations and prophecy timelines and Bible background. But in looking back on it now, Dad's role was just as important. For he brought the theoretical down to real life. He gave my brother and I a shoe leather faith. Dad kept Christianity real. He always brought the spiritual into the practical. On Sunday nights, Mom played the organ for the church choir while Dad ushered and watched the parking lot for the thieves who had been breaking into cars. I'll never forget the night he tore the knee out of his suit pants. Someone said that he had ripped them when he fell down trying to catch a couple of guys who were burglarizing a car. He had chased them across the parking lot into the nearby woods. And knowing my dad, I'm sure that he had given very little thought as to what he was going to do with them once he caught them. It was probably a blessing that he fell and they got away. But even as a child, this picture struck me that my dad's devotion to God was willing to get down and dirty, to even risk danger if necessary. Even though he had fallen down in my mind, he was standing up for the Lord and for what was right. Up until a few years ago, when my eyes started going bad and I needed a new podium, I preached behind a pine pulpit, this pine pulpit that I have with me this morning. It was built for me by my dad. I brought it out just for today. Dad also constructed the stage in our old building on which I preached. See, Dad didn't do a lot of chapter and verse explaining, but my ministry went out from the pulpit and the platform that Dad had constructed with his own two hands. To me, this pulpit represents my dad. As a pastor, I speak for the Lord, but Dad's ministry was more practical, more hands-on. He served through his actions. My dad wasn't a scholar. Scholastic robes would have looked odd on my dad. In fact, his theology was wacky at times, especially the older he got. For a pastor like me who places great importance on rightly dividing God's Word, Dad drove me nuts with crazy interpretations and outlandish ideas. His flawed theology had some holes in it. I always told him his first 30 minutes in heaven would be spent with Jesus telling him he should have listened more to his son. But when I think of the thief on the cross and how much he knew, or the Samaritan woman at the well, or the Romans, the pagan Romans in Cornelius' house, who the Lord saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, how much theology did these people have right? They'd been raised on paganism and Greek mythology. I'm sure they had all kinds of unbiblical ideas. And yet Jesus forgave them anyway and made them his people. They were under a new covenant where God had promised, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I'm just saying in some ways proper theology is a bit overrated. Hey, there'll be people in hell who are experts in theology. But it never worked its way 
the 18 inches from their heads down to their hearts. Academic knowledge is important, but it's not essential. When the Ethiopian asked Philip how he could be saved, Philip responded, If you believe in Jesus with all your heart, that's where my dad excelled. His was a heart-held faith. Dad was sincere and stubbornly so. You know, I'm sure that when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to spend the first 30 minutes with me explaining that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And that all my sufficiency was not in what I knew, but in who I knew, in Jesus and in him alone. Olin Adams believed with his heart. If you ever talk to my dad for long, you realize that he was passionate about his faith. Dad was bold and fearless. He loved Jesus and he didn't mind telling anybody about him. And he loved to serve the Lord any way he could. Mom was the talented musician and the gifted Bible teacher. She was in demand. Mom taught a ladies' Sunday school class, sang solos, and played the organ. Though Dad was less talented, he was just as eager to serve. He willingly took the unglamorous assignments. For one, Dad also taught Sunday school. But he took the class that nobody wanted, the death row for Sunday school teachers. Dad dared to teach fifth grade boys. (laughs) And I love how he did it. He would stand in front of the class and he'd say, all right, boys, does anybody have anything they want to say? You can talk about anything you'd like for as long as you want, and I'll just sit here quietly and listen. Of course, when given the opportunity, those fifth grade boys didn't take advantage. And so dad would then stand back up and he would say, all right, boys, you've had your chance. Now it's my turn, and I expect you to shut up and listen to me just as quietly as I've listened to you. And it worked. We would just sit there and listen. (laughs) Unlike mom, dad was never invited to sing in the choir or play his instrument in church. And yet he still had musical gifts and a music ministry he used for the glory of God. On weeknights, he and his buddy, they would load up their car, and they would head to the nursing homes. Dad played the guitar, and Jerry, he played a string attached to a wash tub and a stick. Jerry would flip the handle on the wash tub and say he was changing keys. Dad and Jerry's gospel song sounded beautiful only to the heart of hearing and to God. Making a joyful noise was the duo's specialty. And while mom served on Sunday mornings in the spotlight at church, I saw my dad serve the Lord in the most sacrificial way imaginable. His invalid sister, Anne, lived in a nursing home downtown. And every Sunday afternoon, dad would pry himself off the couch, turn off the NFL game, and make the long drive to visit a forgotten sister. After coaching and carting us to ball games all day Saturday, and faithfully attending church both Sunday morning and evening. Sunday afternoon was his only time off, but most weeks he gave it up to visit his sister. My dad's example taught me more about mercy and compassion and sacrifice than a thousand sermons on the subject. Dad always quoted James 1 verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
Big O lived that verse. Dad never claimed to be, but he was also a biblical counselor. Of course, Dad had an opinion on everything. And often, what he said was just that, an opinion. But on occasion, God used my dad's words to speak wisdom into my life that shaped me in my ministry forever. For example, shortly after Kathy and I had gotten married, we had our first spat. I was so angry. I needed advice. And so I went over to my dad's house. He happened to be out in the garden. He was sweating profusely. He was getting a workout behind his rotiller, plowing up his garden. I'm sure I looked distressed. But when he saw me, he didn't even turn off the rotiller. He just dropped it down into idle. I said, Dad, you'll never believe what, Kathy? And that's as far as I ever got. He cut me right off. He didn't even let me complete the sentence. Dad shouted over the motor. Sandy, I've lived with you for 20 years, and I know how hard you are to get along with. Now you shut up and go home, apologize to Kathy, and do whatever she wants you to do. And then, and then he popped that rotiller right back into gear and went right back to plowing his garden. I never went back to my dad for marriage counseling, but I also never forgot what he told me. On another occasion, we were facing opposition here at church. I believe God was calling us to build a new facility, but a small pocket of people, they were opposing our plans. I went to my dad for advice. We were sitting at the kitchen table when I started complaining. Dad, I have served the Lord for 15 years. I've been faithful. If they don't trust me by now, they never will. I'm tired of having to prove myself to people. And that's when my dad said sternly, He said, Sandy, in this world, you have to prove yourself to people every single day. And as usual, Dad was right. God loves us unconditionally. But people, even church folk, they have expectations of a pastor. And rather than grumble and complain about it, I needed to buck up and live at a higher standard. And my dad said something to me once that will guide my life to the end of my days. And it wasn't at church or in a Bible study. It was on the golf course. We were on the ninth tee box at Mystery Valley. The play had slowed and several groups had bunched up. I was waiting in the golf cart while Dad and this stranger got into a conversation. They were chit-chatting until this man asked my dad. He said, well, what do your sons do for a living? Dad said, well, both of my two sons are pastors. Oh, this guy, he just lights up. He gets so excited. He says, pastors? Wow, you've got two sons and both of them are pastors? I bet you're proud of your boys. And that's when dad paused and loud enough for me to hear, he answered, so far. (laughs) Hey, I'll never forget dad's two words that day. Whenever I'm on the verge of getting the big head, getting puffed up, I recall that my dad has already popped that balloon. He let me know that stringing together a few years of faithfulness isn't enough. Even after 41 years, I'm still only so far. I am very capable of messing up. See, our race isn't over until we break the tape. As Clemson Tigers coach Debo Sweeney once said, nothing is more irrelevant than the halftime score. What matters most is how we finish. 
Like I told the nurse who was with us in dad's final minutes on earth. I said, you know, life is just a test. It's only a test. And my dad passed his test. As Psalm 116 tells us, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. One Sunday after church, Dad took us to Longdale Ballpark to hit baseballs. You know, I figured Dad was a so-so athlete. He always bragged that he was the marbles champion of East Atlanta. But that was the extent of his athletic resume. And yet after throwing me countless baseballs that day, he said it was his turn to bat. That's when he pointed to the scoreboard in left field and called his shot. He vowed to hit that scoreboard. And with the very next pitch, he did. I couldn't believe it. My dad bragged about that feat for the next 50 years. (laughs) And yet, that's the kind of stuff that was commonplace with my dad. He always found a way to do what he said he could do, even when people said he couldn't. Dad wasn't rich or talented or educated, but he was devoted and determined. He made up for what he lacked with his consistency. If dad said it, you could take it to the bank. I grew up believing there was nothing my dad couldn't do. And dad was never more consistent than when it came to his family. He was always there for mom and Ken and I. Dad would often joke, I used to be called Olin, but I got married and I became Carol's husband. And then my son came along and I became Sandy's dad. And after a while, I was Nick's granddad. And now I'm Colt's great-grandpa. But don't let Big O fool you. His family was his greatest joy. He had learned that the secret of happiness is not in holding on to your life, but in living it for others. Dad protected his wife, Carol, for 70 years. Mom was literally the girl next door. They actually got to know each other when mom started visiting dad's sister. The rest is history. Just a few days ago, I was going through some stuff in the basement, and I found this box there at their house. It's full of love letters. When I opened that box, it was like stumbling across buried treasure. One letter was dated 1953, a few months before they married. Dad had written Mom while she was on vacation with her family. One card had a lock of Mom's hair that she had sent to Dad in response. It was the beginnings of a love that lasted seven decades. You know, I've heard it said, the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. And that is so true. Ken and I were blessed to grow up in a stable and in a loving home. But dad not only provided us stability, he knew that life is hard and troubles come. And so along with stability and love, his goal was to also give us some grit and some stamina. I was about 10 years old when Dad bought me a new bike. It was a Christmas present. This bike was a purple Schwinn with a banana seat and sissy handlebars, man. It was so cool. We lived on this steep hill, and I was so cool flying down that hill on that bike. I was so cool, I decided to stand on that banana seat and surf my way down that hill. I was so cool, I took my hands off the handlebars and literally surfed down the street. That is until my front tire hit a rock. 
and it spun sideways, I flew off that bike and I slid about 30 yards across the pavement. At that point, I was no longer cool. I was a mess. Street burns all over my legs and back and torso. Mom wiped me off the pavement, found some ointment, bandaged me up, and prayed for my healing. But when Dad got home from work and saw me lying in bed, he sized up the situation and decided to take action. He got me up from the critical care unit that was my bedroom. He took me outside, and he put me right back on that bike. Dad made me ride that bike up and down the driveway. See, he was wise enough to know that my wounds would heal, but he didn't want fear to take hold in my heart. He immediately got me back up on that bike. I didn't think so at the time, but that was really cool. More than anything else, my dad taught me courage. He helped me grow into a man. And the way dad handled that situation was a way that was impossible for my mom. See, it it just isn't in a mom to do what he did. A mom's heart is to shelter her children, kiss their little boo-boos, and nurse their wounds and help with their healing. It took a dad to see beyond the immediate injuries and take stock of the long-term consequences. Dad saw the need to teach his son how to be brave to address and overcome his fears, to not give up when life gets hard. And my mom would be the first to tell you that it takes a dad to get a beat-up boy back on a bike. A dad does the hard stuff that needs to be done. It's a dad's job to make sure his kids face their fears rather than succumb to them. Dad holds his kids accountable He makes them keep their promises and be true to their word and not back down from the challenges of life. Let me just say, I was blessed to be raised by a man and a woman. And if you have accepted the notion that both sexes are not necessary for raising children, you need to think again. Both genders bring to the table a different style of parenting that's needed. The unique ways that men and women play and interact with children are both necessary. Fathers roughhouse, and they play dangerously with their kids. And this is good, for it inspires competition and engenders independence, and it promotes risk-taking, things you want your kids to know. Whereas mothers, they interact in more nurturing and in more compassionate ways with their kids, which creates in a child a sense of security. That's important too. I'm just saying masculinity and femininity are both essential to good parenting. I've heard it said, dads tend to see their child in relation to the rest of the world. Moms tend to see the rest of the world in relation to their child. Another way to say that would be that dads care about sending their children out and preparing them to impact their world, whereas moms emphasize a loving and healing and nurturing environment for their child, a safe place from the world. That's why it was no surprise that it was my dad that taught me how to fight. And I'm not talking about boxing lessons. No, he taught me how to face an enemy. And not back down. Olin Adams had a spine. 
He had a backbone and he passed it on to his two boys. He stood up for his family. Once there was this crazy man down at the ballpark. This guy was known in town for his violent temper. He'd actually been charged with assault of his son's football coach. He was there during our baseball game with his son's team. His boy had been in a collision at home plate. And the father, the crazy guy, thought that I was the catcher. And so after the game, he came up to me and pushed me. And I was 13 years old. And this grown man pushes me. Well, Dad was on the other field watching Ken when I told him what had happened. And immediately, Dad decided he needed to do something to defend his firstborn. Dad assured me he'd take care of it. And he started walking to where the altercation occurred. Thankfully, the fellow was gone. But Dad had made up his mind he was going to mix it up with the guy. He would defend his son. It's funny, years later, Dad confessed that the whole time he was walking to where he thought the man would be, he was praying earnestly, please, Lord, don't let him be there. (laughs) As they say, faith is fear that has said its prayers. There was another occasion where Dad physically came to the defense of my mom. Dad worked 35 years for the telephone company. And once, early in his career, mom got an obscene phone call while dad was at work. Needless to say, this shook her up. Well, the next time it happened, dad was able to trace the call. He got the number, and he looked up the caller. It happened to be a teenage boy. And so one day after work, dad parked in front of the kid's house. He watched, and he took notes. The type and the color of the boy's car, his tag number, what the boy looked like. Later that night, Dad called the kid. And after describing his house and car and appearance, Dad said to him, Now I know you, but you don't know me. And if you ever call my wife again, I'm going to get you when you least expect it. A loving husband protected his wife and the call stopped cold. And dad approached death the way he tackled the other bullies in his life. He was never intimidated. Fear never gained a foothold in his heart. I was by his bedside when he died. I wouldn't say he died peacefully. He died the way he lived, fighting to the very end. But he wasn't afraid. He knew that death is but a passage, a transition from this life to the next. That death is a foyer, not a sanctuary. Just this week, the thought of my own death struck me in an unusual way. seems I've seen so many friends and family die recently or almost die. kind of hit me. You know, you can't think about the fragility and brevity of this life, you know, without some serious contemplation. But then I was reminded of my dead and other believers who have faced this final enemy with unconquerable faith. Dad believed in Jesus, who holds the keys to life and death. Jesus' resurrection assures us that death is not the end, that Jesus has overcome, that there is life beyond the grave, and Jesus invites those who trust in him to join him. And death can't take from the believer in Jesus anything of permanent value. In Christ, wives will rejoin husbands, and dads will be reunited with sons, In Jesus, even love, joy, peace, hope are undiminished by death. 
Before I close, let me return to our original text. Jeremiah 31, verse 29. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the day will come when children will no longer be able to blame their faults on their fathers. Just because your parents ate rotten grapes doesn't excuse the sour taste in your mouth. No one can any longer blame their sin on their upbringing. For a new covenant, a new birth, a new relationship with God the Father, the receiving of God's very nature can break the generational chains of sin and bondage. Sons are no longer destined to repeat the mistakes of the fathers, and grandsons the mistakes of their sons. In this sense, my dad was the victim of sour grapes. He grew up in a bigoted South, in the days of Jim Crow and racial prejudice. Both dad's church and family affirmed his racist beliefs. A systemic racism indoctrinated a whole generation of white Southerners like my dad. And this was the cultural heritage passed down to me. And yet because our fathers suck sour grapes, it doesn't mean that we're destined to savor the same taste. There is a father in heaven who changes human hearts. You remember what's not transformed by Jesus often ends up transferred to your kids. But through God's new covenant, hearts can be softened and minds can be changed. The Spirit of God doesn't give up on hard hearts and closed minds. God doesn't write off the racist any more than He gives up on any other sinner. Rather, His Spirit is able to write God's law of love onto our hearts and into our minds. This is what God did in my life. He set me free of the bias of my bigoted culture. And I would get mad at my dad for not listening to me. And at times persisting in his stubborn ideas. We had some real knockdown, drag outs over this. Yet God was far more patient than I was. Three times God arranged divine appointments to get my dad's attention and to shake him up. Once it happened at the Waffle House. He and mom were eating dinner when an African-American lady, a complete stranger to mom and dad, They walked over to their table, and they took Dad's ticket to pay their bill. Of course, Dad resisted. My proud Dad, he always paid his own way. But this lady insisted. In fact, she told Dad, she said, Look, Jesus commanded me to buy your dinner. If you don't let me do it, you're going to keep me from obeying Jesus. Well, Dad relented. Couldn't do that. So he handed over his bill. Another time it happened at Hardy's. A black man standing in line in front of my dad got up to the register and he told the clerk he was paying for his meal and the white guys behind him. (laughs) Dad knew that was no accident. It was happening again. God was renewing his mind. Friends, God is faithful to do that. He is serious about changing our carnal, sinful ways. He'll do whatever it takes. Let me be honest. Was there still work for God to do in my father's heart? Yes, I'm sure there was. Just as the work of sanctification continues in all our hearts, 
but God was faithful to my dad. Jesus was in the shadows of my dad's life just as my dad was in the shadows of mine. It's ironic, while on earth, my dad was clinically colorblind. He couldn't see greens or certain shades of blue. And that whenever we would drive through an old town where the stoplights were turned on their side, it got real dangerous. If dad was driving, he couldn't tell the go from the stop. But now that my dad is in heaven, he sees color perfectly. And not just optically, but socially and racially. For it is in heaven that God's love is finally perfected in our hearts. Until then, there is a man who stands in the shadows of your life. Your dad has a powerful sway over you. And if you are a dad, you stand and will always stand in the shadows of someone else's life. You have an influence and it is more powerful than you've assumed. Dads, use that influence wisely. Teach your sons to be men. Teach your daughters how a real man treats girls. Bring a godly masculinity to the parenting in your home. Most of all, love Jesus and love other people. Love the people God created, all people, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. Teach the Bible by how you live. Love God with all your heart. Break the change you were born with by being born again. May all our dads have a heart-held faith. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And I pray for every dad here today, Lord, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave inspired, that we would be ready, Lord, to be the dead to our kids that you are to us. And Lord, none of us can hide behind our father's failures. Lord, our father may have eaten rotten grapes, but that doesn't excuse the sour taste in our mouths because we have a God who can change us and who can put love into our hearts and can renew our minds and can set us free. And so, Lord, we call upon the name of Jesus this morning Have your way in us, Lord. If there's a dad here today who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray they'd come to know Jesus today. If there's a dad who's never surrendered his life to you, I pray he would surrender it today because it's only when we bow to you that we can stand up for others. And so work among us this morning, Lord, both dads and those who have a dad. Work in our hearts. Mold us and make us into what you want us to be, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.